so much more than I get I just haven't met you yet I might have to wait, I'll never give up That all was for you girls. For you, Cirrus and Kaylee. That was for you. Well, the Paramore part was. I know how you love Paramore. And I like them too. I think that song that you heard at the beginning, they're still into you. That was... I can't get enough of that song. That was great. I, I do like Paramore. Uh, Haley Williams and... I can't remember the other names because they, you know, well, Haley would jump out to you the most, would jump out to anyone the most. So Haley jumps out to me the most. But that that's just a really catchy song, and I really like that song. So that was all for you. And I know that you had said that at your wedding, I remember that at your wedding, your sister sung um, Buble's Haven't Met You Yet. Now, see, at that point, she had, and kind of awkward in that in that sense but that was all that was all for you and i know this is before my time and it was before a lot of people's times but hot patootie that is just a classic song that's just a great song and people could argue that it's more catchier that it gets, gets people's attention more than time warp does I've just always been, I don't want to say that I've been more drawn towards it, but I guess I just, I just thought I always liked it and I thought it was really cool. So, and I just thought it was, I always thought it was really interesting and I wanted to start off by mentioning that and I wanted to get into mentioning that, but I also wanted to say what's coming up and what's coming up very soon and I want to give a shout out and say Happy birthday and happy anniversary. The producer's birthday. My producer's birthday is coming up at the beginning of the month. The beginning of February. Cirrus is February 2nd. And her wife is February 4th. And their anniversary is Valentine's Day. And then in June, their daughter's second birthday. So they've got a big... Well, they've got a big month coming up, and they've got a big few months coming up. So I wanted to say happy anniversary, ladies, and happy birthday to both of you. So I just want to make sure I got that in. I also wanted to touch on a history, a, a very interesting history that I know I started with with New York and kind of got in got in depth as much as as much as I love that city. But I wanted to get into my home. My home of Seattle. 
Now, I have always said repeatedly, as you, as you as you have heard in previous episodes, I have always said that there are three cities on the planet that I've always wanted to spend a lot of time in. I've always wanted to, to live in and spend so much time that you could be considered that I might have lived there. Now, I'm from upstate New York, and my family heritage draws everything back to New York. So I spent a lot of time in New York, a lot of time in New York City. Mostly Manhattan, but a lot of time in New York. So I got that out of the way. And then the other two are Vegas and Seattle. Now, Vegas is is as dear to my heart as New York is. There are, are three cities, New York, Vegas, and Seattle, that you can't compare to each other. That are so extraordinary and so different that they set each other, they set themselves apart, and they can't be compared. They're they're equal, but they can't be compared. And I've always wondered, and I've I've known a lot about it. I've always wondered what the history out here was like, what Seattle's history might have been. And a lot of this is actually from the histories, the history of Seattle websites, and the Washington. History Historical Societies and also Wikipedia, of course, but I've done a lot of research and trying to dig into as much as I can. What is now known as Seattle has been inhabited since the end of the last glacial period, circa around 8,000 BC to 10,000 years ago, for at least 4,000 years. In the mid-1850s, the Coast Salish people of what is now called the Duwamish tribe and the Suquamish, as well as the other associated groups and tribes, were living in some 13 villages within the present-day city, inside the and also in the present-day city limits of Seattle. Evidence of continuous human habitation of a village site within the current city limits of the city, dating back to the 6th century CE, exists on the Port of Seattle Terminal 107 site located on the western bank of the Duwamish River. The site was abandoned in approximately 1800 for unknown reasons. Other notable village sites include the birthplace of Chief Seattle, or has been common, I think his name, I think that calling him Chief Seattle is just an, just an anglicized or American perversion of what his name actually was. I think that the English at the time couldn't pronounce what his name actually was and they twisted it into what became Seattle. So I think as far as what Seattle's actually in its actual name is considerably different than what it is. I think it's called Seahaw or S-I I want to say S-I dash I-H-A-L I believe that's the closest Thing that I, I think that sound that that's what it sounds familiar to me. In the birthplace of G.C. Hall, which is which is located near the current footprint of the King Street Station. George Vancouver was the first European to visit the Seattle area in May of 1792, during during his 1791 to 95 expedition to chart the Pacific Northwest. The founding of Seattle is usually dated from the arrival of the Denny Party Scouts on September 25, 1851. However, Luther Collins, Henry Van Asselt, 
and the Maple family founded a farming settlement on what is currently the Seattle neighborhood of Georgetown on September 27, 1851. The Denny Party's original site was an unfinished cabin without a roof a camp, and a campsite. Located at what is now Alki Point, that's A-L-K-I, in West Seattle, the Collins Party settlement was improved with permanent structures and was soon producing produce and meat for sale on, in barter. On April, in April 1852, Arthur Denny abandoned the original site at Elkoy, Alki in favor of a better protected site on Elliott Bay. If anyone is curious what Elliott Bay is, or wants to know what Elliott Bay is, <coughs> anyone not doesn't live in the Seattle area or is not familiar with my beloved city, uh, Elliott Bay is what a lot of people out here call the bay or the boardwalk. It's the bay if you come in if you kind of look at the city skyline and the Space Needles on your left and you're in a bay that goes up to the boardwalk, to the Seattle Aquarium, up to Pike Place Market. What you're on is the bay. That's Elliott Bay. It is now part of downtown Seattle. Arthur Denny and Luther Collins were the first commissioners of King County, which is where Seattle is, after its creation in 1852. Around the same time, David Swinson Doc Maynard began settling the land immediately south of Denny's. Seattle, in its early decades, relied on the timber industry, shipping logs and later milled timber to San Francisco. A climax forest of trees up to 1,000 and 2,000 years old and towering as high as nearly 400 feet covered much of what is now Seattle. Today, none of that size remains anywhere in the world. When Henry Yesler brought the first steam sawmill to the region, he chose a location on the waterfront where Maynard and Denny's Platts met. Thereafter, Seattle would dominate the lumber industry. Charlie Terry sold out Alki, which, after his departure, barely held on as a settlement, moved to Seattle and began acquiring land. He either owned or partially owned Seattle's first timber ships. He eventually gave a land grant to the University of, Ter the, University of the Territory of Washington, later became the University of Washington or what is called out here, UW, and was instrumental in the politics to establish an urban infrastructure. The logging town developed rapidly over decades into a small city, despite being, of, despite being officially, the, the, the spacing in there makes it look of officially, instead of one word. Despite being officially founded by Methodists of the Denny Party, Seattle quickly developed into developed a reputation as a wide open town, a haven for prostitution, liquor, and gambling. Some attributes this some attributes some attributes some attributes this 
at least in part, to Maynard, who realized that something was needed to bring the loggers and sailors in, who formed the majority of the surrounding population. Real estate records show that nearly all of the city's first 60 businesses were on or immediately adjacent to Doc Maynard's plat. Of this occurred of this occurred against the background of sometimes rocky relations with the local Native American population, including a normally pitched battle, a nominally pitched battle, the Battle of Seattle on January 25, 1856. Seattle was incorporated as a town on January 14, 1865. That charter was voided January 18, 1867 because of questionable activities of the town's elected leaders. Seattle was reincorporated on December 2, 1869. At the times of incorporation, the population was approximately 350 and 1,000, respectively. In 1867, a young French-Canadian Catholic priest named Francis X. Prefontaine arrived in Seattle and decided to establish a parish theater. Parish there. Well, maybe he established a theater. <laughs> I just misspoke. I just just misspoke and tried to pronounce the word theater there as theater. At that time, Seattle had no Catholic church and few parishioners. Prefontaine counted only 10 Catholics in the town and only 3 attended the first mass. His bishop, Augustine Mag Magloire Blanchet, whose cathedral was in Vancouver, Washington, gave Prefontaine permission to build a church there, to build a church there. As long as the priest could raise the funds himself, it would cost the and it would cost the diocese nothing. Prefontaine raised the money by holding fairs around the Puget Sound area. During 1868 to 1869, he built the church, during much of the work, doing much of the work himself. And in 1869, he opened Seattle's first Catholic church at 3rd Ave and Washington Street. On the site, on the site where the present-day Prefontaine building now stands. On, Jan on July 14, 1873, the Northern Pacific Railway announced that they had chosen the then village of Tacoma over Seattle as the western terminus of their transcontinental railroad. The railroad barons appear to have been, ga have been gambling on the, on the advantage they could gain for being able to buy up the land around their terminus cheaply instead of bringing the railroad into a more established Pacific port town. Seattle made several attempts to build a railroad of its own or to leverage one to come. The Great Northern Railway finally came to Seattle in 1884, winning Seattle a place in competition for the freight, though it would be 1906 before Seattle finally acquired a major rail passenger terminal. Seattle of this era was freebooting and often relatively lawless town, though it boasted newspapers and telephones, lynch law often prevailed. There were at least four deaths by lynching in 1882. Schools barely operated, 
and indoor plumbing was rarely was a rare novelty in town. In the low mud flats where much of the city was built, sewage was almost as likely to come in on the tides as to flow away. The streets were potholed to the point where there was at least one fatal drowning. Union orga Union organizing first union organizing first arrived in the form of a skilled craft union in 1882. Seattle printers formed the Seattle formed the Seattle Topographical Union Local 202. Dock workers followed in 1886, cigar makers in 1887, tailors in 1889 and both brewers and musicians in 1890. Even the newsboys unionized in 1892, followed by more organizing, mostly of craft unions. In an era during, the wa during which the Washington Territory was one of the first parts of the U.S. to briefly allow women's suffrage, women played a significant part in civilizing Seattle. The first bathtub with plumbing was in 1870. In the 1880s, Seattle got its first streetcar and cable, and cable car, ferry service, a YMCA gymnasium, and the exclusive Rainier Club, and passed an ordinance requiring attached sewer lines for all new residences. It also began to develop a road system. The relative fort fortunes of Seattle and Tacoma clearly show the nature of Seattle's growth. Though both Seattle and Tacoma grew at a rapid rate from 1880 to 1890, based on the strength of their timber industries, Seattle's growth as an exporter of services and manufactured goods continued for another two decades, while Tacoma's growth dropped to almost zero. The reason for this lies in Tacoma's nature as a company town and Seattle's successful avoidance of that condition. But what is commonly known all throughout these parts, commonly well known as much as the as significant as the Empire State Building is to New York City, such as the Great Fire of 1889 is to Seattle. The Great Fire of 1889 is about as well known as significant out here to Seattle as a Space Needle is. The early Seattle area era came to a screeching and stunning halt with the Great Fire of June 6, 1889. Started by a glue pot, the fire burned 29 city blocks, almost entirely almost entirely wooden buildings, about 10 brick buildings also burned. It destroyed nearly the entire business dis district, all of the railroad terminals, and all but four of the wharves. Major fires like this were common in Washington that summer. The center of Ellensburg was destroyed by fire on July, July 4th, and downtown Spokane burned on August 4th thanks in part to credit arranged by thanks in part to credit arranged by Jacob Firth Seattle rebuilt from the ashes with astounding rapidity 
the new a new zoning code resulted in a, in, a, in a downtown of brick and stone buildings rather than wood in the single year after the fire the city grew from 25,000 to 40,000 largely because of the enormous number of construction jobs suddenly created still south of Yesler way the open city atmosphere remained there's a lot about what a, a lot about what you can <coughs> if you walk around certain areas of Seattle and you walk around certain neighborhoods you can see the remnants of the being rebuilt after the fire you can still see that that still exists what they did was instead of re instead of building uh Instead of refurbishing or rebuilding the buildings to the lower level of where they were, they raised the streets up. And they raised the streets up to roughly, a lot of the times, the second floor of a lot of the buildings, a lot of the businesses around where the fire had occurred. And the entrances became on the second floor, while the buildings still had a first floor. So... The argument was joked and repeatedly made. You could go, if you were down low, down lower, you could go in on the first floor and exit on the second. Or you could go in on the second floor, go down on the floor, and exit on the first, on the lower level. That was just a weird thing. It was just really odd and really weird. And if there's something that's really, really famous and really well known out here, the Great Seattle Underground, there are underground tours go out here. That take you through the what became the underground from that rebuilding. Take you from what the city looked like in the 1880s, in the 1890s, and it shows you you can you go through those areas and you see cobbled streets and you see the streets what the streets looked like at that time, and it's not a replica. It's not you see actually what they looked like and what they were. You see old storefronts and you see old old things that were just set up the way it was in the 1880s and there are yes just like there are in Vegas and other cities that have underground tours like this there are ghost tours there's theories that certain places that have been underground for hundreds of years for a long time are haunted people think people think that people say that whether or not that's true I don't know but there are tours that lead you through those areas and it's really cool to see what these what the streets look like and yeah they might have maintained them a little bit just so they don't so it doesn't stink down there after all this time it doesn't de degrade as it normally would and as you're walking that's one of my favorite things to do out here is to take the Seattle Underground and as you're walking through there are as you're walking through the underground there are skylights over your head like little skylights I, I guess I can't think of another way to put it but that's the best way to put it there are skylights over your head and as you're waiting in line to start the tour or after you leave the tour you walk on the streets over 
you walk on the streets and you see the skylights. You see, you see what you saw when you were underground. So it's really kind of cool. It's very impressive, and it's really cool. It's really, really interesting, and it's a lot of fun to do. One of the best things to do out here that I would advise anyone is to take the Seattle Underground tour and do it. It's just so cool and so much fun. One of the places, another place that I would heavily recommend people do when they come out here, is to go on, go to Pike Place Market. And see what we've called what we call here the flying fish stand. The fish don't fly; they can't. But what they do is, someone of the people who work there, someone who, um, someone from behind the counter will toss a fish to someone, one of their workers, standing in front of the crowd, and he will catch the fish so it doesn't hit somebody else. And then he'll pitch it back and throw it, throw the fish back. It's really cool. It's very they're very professional and they're very organized and they're very controlled on how they do that. And it's a lot of fun to see that. It's really fun and really kind of cool to see that. And I would heavily recommend that. I would also go through, just walk through the market and see and see what it looks like. See how old it is and see how well it's kept up and see how. Much of a staple of the Pacific Northwest and of Seattle, it is. And the original Starbucks, the first Starbucks that ever existed. And I know it's kind of weird to say this because me not being a coffee drinker and me going, "Yay, Starbucks!" Woohoo! Um, it's interesting for me to say it like that. But the first Starbucks that ever existed there is at Pike Place Market, and you can see, you can see it. And you can see what the logo looked like, and how before it evolved into what it is now. And that's kind of interesting. I mean, it's a Starbucks, so the only thing you're gonna get there is what Starbucks offers. So yay, you're going. I'm going to a Starbucks. Yay, the best I'm gonna get is a cup of coffee and maybe some, maybe a scone. I don't know, but you get to see how how it originally looked around there. Also, go down to the boardwalk. Go down to Elliott Bay, and go to go to Wings Over Washington. There's a ride that you can go there. There's also the Seattle Great Wheel. <coughs> as you go around the Great Wheel, there's a part on the top as you're going around, cresting the top, and then coming over, coming down the backside. It looks like you're sinking. You're going to sink into Elliott Bay. That's kind of cool. That's kind of interesting. Also, go to the Seattle Aquarium. It's a lot of fun. You get to see uh, something, things that are really cool and a lot of fun and really, really cool. There's it. Also, yeah, those are the things you should go. I was gonna say, yeah, go to the Space Needle, but I would go around Seattle Center. Sorry, I yawned. I would go around Seattle Center and go around the area and not just reserve yourself to the Space Needle because at this point in Seattle's life and Seattle's history, that's what it's known for. That's the kind of typical thing, typical tourist thing to do out here. So I would do those other things that I mentioned. And then maybe if you feel like, hey, I got to do the Space Needle, do it. Just Why not? It's all fun. It's, it's, it's really cool. There's a lot of stuff to do out here. And one of the cool things that I would recommend for everyone to do is go, when you're on the boardwalk and Elliott Bay is in front of you, 
and it's, you, have to, you have to make sure it's a clear day. Uh, and Elliott Bay is in front of you. If you look to your and you're facing the bay, look to your right. To your right is the Olympic Mountains, the Olympic out on the Olympic Peninsula, and to your left is Mount Rainier. And right in front of you is, like I said, Elliott Bay. That's just really cool. That is really you can't get that view anywhere else. And you can only get out here in my beloved Seattle. That is just so cool. And the interesting thing about the gold rush, the greatest boom period for Seattle, occurred during the Klondike Gold Rush. Seattle, as well as the rest of the nation, was suffering from the economic panic of 1893, and to a lesser extent, the panic of 1896. Gold was discovered in August of 1896 in the Klondike region of Canada. Almost one year later, on August, on July 17, 1897, the steamer Portland arrived in Schwabenbacher's Wharf in Seattle. Schwabenbacher, Schwabenbacher, sorry, not Schwabenbacher, Schwabenbacher's Wharf in Seattle. A, publi a publicity campaign engineered largely by by Erastus Brainerd told the world of the Portland's ton of gold. He started the Klondike Gold Rush and established Seattle as its supply center and jumping off point for the transportation to and from Alaska and from the gold fields of the Yukon. The rush ended the Great Depression overnight for Seattle. The miners mined the gold. Seattle mined the miners. It's all... It's all wildly, wildly intriguing. The stuff that... <coughs> the stuff that you can find and that you can see in Seattle's history is incredible. Just beyond incredible. And I've done an episode, called, I believe it was called Thar Shablos about Mount Rainier. One of the cool things is like every year or every other year my parents and I go up to Mount Rainier. We go up into Mount Rainier National Park and then we go up, drive up to the cliffs and drive up to the Cascades and we drive up to Mount Rainier. And it's just so cool. Just to me, it's so amazing to be that close to something that prominent in it's the most prominent mountain in the contiguous 48 state. 48th yeah, and the continue. I I said forty eight, and I immediately second guessed myself. It's the most prominent, most prominent mountain in the contiguous forty eight states, meaning it stands out the most from the air from the area around it. It sticks up and stands out the most. Um, Mount Rainier is fourteen thousand four hundred and eleven feet tall. It is, and it's an active volcano. It's what's called the stratovolcano. There are shield volcanoes like Olympus Mons on Mars and Mauna Loa in Hawaii. Those are shield volcanoes. Mount St. Helens and Mount Rainier are stratovolcanoes. That's very different. The, the volcanoes that explode and that erupt like you expect, like you think of when you think of a volcano, those are stratovolcanoes. Uh, or most commonly stratovolcanoes, and that's what, like I said, that's what Mount Rainier and Mount St. Helens are. Uh, so there's a there's a lot more there's a lot more that 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 to talk about about the Emerald City. There's a lot more to get into. There's a lot more 
a lot more interesting. There's a lot more that could have gone wrong, that could have changed, not wrong, could have gone differently. That should be the way I should say it. Could have gone differently from how it did. And a lot of times before, the, up until the point where it became, where Seattle started to flourish as much as it did, people kind of got to know it as maybe it's the, the little apple, the smaller, the smaller version of New York that was trying to be in the Pacific Northwest. And that was kind of interesting. It's kind of like the little apple of the emerald. So it's kind of kind of interesting in that respect. And there's a lot more, a lot, lot more to get into. And it's just wildly, wildly interesting. So thank you all so much for listening. Thanks for hanging around. Stick around for a little bit more in the end here. Want to check out the best podcast and best YouTube channel out there? True, true friends of this podcast? Check out Fantastic Cruising over on Apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcasting devices and services. Give them a five-star review. Head on over to YouTube. Look up Fantastic Studios. Give them a five-star review and give them comments. They'll love that to death. They are the greatest podcast out there. Give them a shout-out. Want to check out the best travel vlogger and videos anywhere? Go to Atlantic City, Disney, Six Flags, all along the Atlantic City boardwalk, and go to Vegas. Check out the New York channel, N-U-Y-A-W-K, on YouTube. You will be thoroughly impressed and thoroughly entertained. You will love every second of what you're seeing. Go to YouTube and check out N-U-Y-A-W-K. You'll love what you're seeing. You'll enjoy every second of it. Want to check out the environment, the climate, the planet, and everything we can do to have an impact on it? Check out City Climate Corner. On all the podcasting platforms, Apple Podcast, Spotify, on everything. You won't be disappointed. You'll enjoy and love what you're listening to. Mm-hmm.